0: Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. Our approach at Florida Women's Law Group is to provide women with a strategy to not only achieve their objectives, but win at life. I believe that what may show up as adversity is simply an opportunity to change and improve your life. In each episode, I sit down with innovative professionals and leaders who are focused on how you can be your best self before, during, and after divorce. In these conversations, we are looking at how women can win at life. I have the unique opportunity to meet women when they are at a transition period of life, but that is only the beginning to becoming your best self and winning at life on your terms. With our guests, we enjoy the opportunity to explore ways all women can win and enhance their life, no matter where they are in their journey, because divorce is just a point in life, not the end and not what defines you, rather a catalyst for your growth. Welcome to this week's episode of Women Winning Divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney at Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm joined by Julie Hall. Julie is an author, journalist, educational writer, coach, consultant, and founder of Narcissist Family Files. She speaks and writes about narcissism and complex relational trauma via many different forms of media but is most notably the author of The Narcissist in Your Life, Recognizing the Patterns and Learning to Break Free. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Heather. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. We are so happy to have you today. And you're a busy lady. You do a lot.
1: Yes, it's true. I do. I'm I'm actually in a, a somewhat quieter phase right now while I'm researching my next book, actually. Oh. Um, so, exciting yeah.
0: that's a little teaser we'll touch on that later that's, though, for sure yeah. but welcome to the show of course we really we've talked about narcissism in the past and, and living with a narcissist but this topic this today is do I have a narcissistic family so this is going to be great and I know very informative for all of us but tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now professionally we'd love to know
1: okay yeah I started out I've always been a writer. That's the through line in my episodic career. And I started out doing educational writing for all ages and then shifted into more journalistic writing. And I got into narcissism in the narcissism zone because I came from a narcissistic family myself. So I was on my own long journey trying to figure out what the heck was going on in my family and in my own life with my own trauma history. I had figured some things out and I actually was working on a literary memoir and I, <clears throat> these days as a writer, you have to have a platform to get a publisher. So long story short, I, t- in order to create a platform for my memoir, I started writing articles about narcissism to, and I ended up that sort of took on a life of its own. And I ended up focusing on narcissism and <laughs> setting the, the memoir aside. And I ended up writing a book. I, I launched a blog. So I launched mm-hmm. the Narcissist Family Files blog. I was fo- I, My focus has always been on the narcissistic family system. It's an area in the narcissism sphere that is still to this day neglected. And that's really the core of it. That's where it all begins. And so what happens in the family happens then in our relationships, in our adult relationships, and then what gets recreated in our family system. And then there are feedback loops societally from the family to societal institutions and then back. To the family again. So it's all interrelated and it's highly relevant in the narcissism in all issues of narcissism.
0: That's fascinating and I know what you, I see what you mean because no one's ever talked about that as many guests as I've that I've had on the show and we've talked about narcissism and dealing with it but never the family system. So I'm really excited to get into that today. Now, for our listeners who may not know, how do you define narcissism?
1: That's a really good question because we talk about it a lot, but it can get really confusing and unclear about what we really mean. The kind of narcissism I'm talking about here is the pathological level of personality disorder. And what's happening with the narcissistic personality, it's a defensive personality structure that begins forming early in life. And it involves many developmental deficits. So it's a child experiencing attachment problems and internalizing shame around that and having trouble establishing stable self-esteem, stable emotional regulation, and then overcompensates with grandiosity. So that child is also having emotional splitting between bad self and good self and having trouble integrating a realistic sense of self that is based on reality (laughs) and sees other people in those terms, too. What we're dealing with is somebody with very black and white thinking, which is tied to that inner splitting phenomenon, which we can talk about more later. A not developing empathy, so alienated, fundamentally alienated from other people so having trouble establishing stable self-esteem dealing with emotional regulation dysregulation having that black and white thinking and splitting not developing that empathy so being very alienated um mm-hmm. then developing all these sort of compensatory strategies that are that create that grandiose sense of superiority and entitlement over others and we can Yeah, we of- can
0: certainly dive into it. But in yes, basics. that's when we've talked about the narcissist on the show before we always hear the lack of empathy and the grandiosity i have never heard that black and white thinking though and the splitting and is that kind of like an either like an all or nothing yes type way of looking at
1: yourself and others it is very much and it's so it's this psychological splitting and it's an inability to integrate a realistic, complex, nuanced sense of self and others in terms of your emotional understanding of the world, okay? you're If you're hearing the crackling, that's my wood stove, <laughs> I have a fire. So it's seeing others as all good or all bad and seeing the self that way. So that's why narcissistic people often vacillate between this really grandiose, sense of themselves over inflated sense of perfection and omnipotence and infallibility or they slip into a kind of self-contempt and deep shame cycle so they cycle between those two things and when their self-esteem is threatened or they're dealing with whatever problems in life that we all deal with they tend to lapse they can collapse into that shame cycle of self-contempt and where every they can only see themselves in, as all bad. So and let me
0: ask you this because this is a great perspective and we're going to get into your approach philosophy how you distinguish yourself but i have only talked about the narcissist from the way they treat someone else but it is seemed to be very much in line with that, because it's either like the love bombing and you're the greatest thing in the world, or you're the worst thing in the world and the cause of all my problems. It seems as though that must maybe factor into the cycle that the narcissist themselves is going through (laughs) with their self-evaluation.
1: Yeah. Often the focus is what's the experience for the other person in relationship with that. And, but it's so helpful to know what's actually going on internally for the narcissist, right? It really
0: is. And particularly because I want to talk about how you distinguish yourself in this field, particularly in your books and what you've looked at, because what if we're talking about your child, it's very important to understand maybe what they're going through. So how do you distinguish yourself like in approach or philosophy within this field? Because narcissism is a hot topic for sure.
1: As we've talked about a little bit here, I do focus so much on the narcissistic family. That's been always been my main interest. And that's why I named my blog, (laughs) Narcissist Family Files. And, and I'm, but I'm also, I'm very interested in the science of it and the attachment fact, the attachment part of this, which is huge, which doesn't really get talked about much, not enough. It's not well under, it hasn't filtered down. To into public discourse very much yet, so it's well. Let's the- open that up
0: because I've never had anybody talk to me about that either. So I'd love to, and I know our listeners would understand it when you say the attachment part of it. What is that? What does that mean?
1: Okay, so yeah, human attachment—the experiences that we're having in early childhood with our primary caregivers—are profound. That. The, the human drive to attach to a, an infant and a child everything survival depends on attachment and not just not just survival in a sense of I'm getting food and protection it's I'm getting my nervous system my brain is developing in relationship. With those adults, with those people who are there to love me and do all the rest of the good stuff, be mm-hmm. modeling and doing the other caretaking and teaching and all that stuff. But that attachment relationship is where we form our sense of self and where we form our relational self. So how we, what we expect of others, how we see ourselves in relationship with others, how we form a sense of self and our ability to self-regulate and manage our emotions, understand our emotions. All these things are deeply related to how we develop empathy how we develop our ability to be intimate and to trust and to cooperate. So what often is missed in in the conversation about narcissism and these issues is how profoundly social humans are. We're we're Mm -hmm. primates and we do virtually everything together and our survival depends very much on cooperation. And that's at its height really in early life when we're figuring, when we're forming our nervous system and our brain mm-hmm. and our sense of self. We're talking, you said infancy. So this is first few years well, of life. The primary, well, the primary attachment years are like age up to two to three. So those first okay. two three years of life are where... Basically, our brains are learning about other people, who we are, building that sense of self and our relational self and what we expect from others and um, how we relate to others. So those are the internal working models that we're forming that then inform the rest of our lives. So those are the that's the sort of blueprint that we're carrying around about self and other. And it is, and again, this is, it's, it's, it's easy to, to not factor this in because these are not, those internal working models are not conscious, right? They're not conscious memories because we're not making conscious memories. At that point in life right so we don't have a, the ability to be like oh yeah i remember this and this and this and this but the right brain the implicit unconscious brain has all that information there all that filed so away conditioned pattern <laughs> right condition patterns now how do you spot
0: a narcissistic family system for example me as attorneys and we have one of the family coming in for a divorce or something like that, would there be things that should clue us in? Maybe that's what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny because the way I think of this, it can be really difficult to spot this until you figure it out. And then it's not hard anymore. And this is something that happened with me and it happens with many of my clients and readers who work on this period for a period of time and learn about this and attune to this. Uh um, Once you get there, you can't go back. You can't unsee it, which is a good thing. It's painful. It's at times horrifying, (laughs) but, but it's also really important. It's important for all of us to know Mm -hmm. what it looks like to, to be safe, right. To make healthy, safe, choices in our in our lives in our relationships. So what does it look like or maybe scenarios
0: that we would hear as an attorney so it's a different relationship obviously than if you're in a romantic relationship but what would be some things that should at least get yeah. us thinking oh that could be going on in that particular family um
1: narcissistic people are extremely controlling. Okay. They have this ongoing delusion that they're better than other people and that they're entitled to things other people aren't entitled to. Okay. That is the sustaining grandiose sense of self that is their coping mechanism throughout life, right? So there's this ongoing delusion, and in the family system, signs on to this. Everybody is supposed to support the delusional grandiosity of the dominant narcissist in the family. Okay. Uh-huh. Often that's a guy. It's not always. Often there there's a woman, or both parents can be narcissistic too. That's really common, actually, but the an unwillingness to compromise a sense a ongoing sense of entitlement entitled behavior there can also another feature that is quite common is a victim narrative so this narrative that the world is against me everyone's unfair to me i've really had hard knocks and any time there's any conflict or problem or disappointment it's unfair to me. So this it's, I think of it as a grandiose victim hood. <laughs> so a- anytime there's a problem, I'm the one being harmed, right? It's an inability and refusal to consider anyone else's point of view. And that's the sort of, well, that's a deep fundamental about the narcissist is they don't, they don't see other people. They don't, understand other people. They may understand how to manipulate people. They can study people and be really perceptive about certain things to get what they want. Mm-hmm. But They don't have a good deep understanding of human emotion because they don't have it about themselves. They're not. So they're that piece, that emotion piece is missing. They're not empathizing. They're not connecting emotionally, but they, but the thing about narcissism is they're here when we talk about a narcissistic mask it is a good metaphor because they are masking they have to mask in society Mm -hmm. to to not be ostracized they have to give the appearance of caring or being fair or yeah so now why is it okay
0: so I have so many questions off that which the first one is though okay how with everything you've explained how do two people that are narcissists, like how do they exist together? That just doesn't yeah. seem possible, yeah. but that just came to my mind when you're explaining that and then saying, sometimes it is both it's a good the man question. and woman. I
1: mean, so essentially like what I usually see with narcissistic relationships is often there's a more dominant, more perhaps overt extroverted type that is more socially dominant, okay, and more obviously narcissistic, right, more obviously grandiose. That's what we often call the more overt narcissist. And then that person may partner with a more covert type of narcissist, okay, so someone who is not seeking the spotlight, someone who is willing to defer or be subjugated in that relationship to a degree, right, and who may be really impressed with the dominant narcissist, but is also but is behaving in passive-aggressive ways. So there's a do- obvious dominance, but then there's this passive-aggressive kind of dynamic back and forth between them. Um, there's usually a lot of conflict, but it's also often a sort of a uh, an agreement to put up with each other's stuff, and they don't recognize. They don't necessarily, that's their normal, right? And to project their own cruelty, lack of empathy, exploitiveness. They tend to project that onto others and assume other people are the same way. So they don't necessarily know. Because there's a little bit of lack of self, or a lot, lack of
0: self-awareness is how you present.
1: Okay, now,
0: okay, this seems like common sense. However, I need to ask, why is this important to spot in romantic relationships And particularly family structure.
1: You mean for a lawyer or for For anybody,
0: for mostly for just individuals in a
1: relationship. You mean which thing, what, which thing are you looking for?
0: If you can recognize that there is the narcissistic family
1: system, if you're in a relationship. Anybody who, so the other, so, so another scenario for, for the narcissistic family. So a typical narcissistic family. So there can be two narcissistic parents. Okay. So maybe one of them is dominant and the other one is less, but still somewhat narcissistic or maybe very narcissistic. Or there may be a very co- kind of what we call codependent enabling person in that partnership. So the other, the in a, mer- in a couple, the other person is not a narcissist, but they've likely come out of a similar type of trauma themselves growing up. So they may have come out of a narcissistic family system or another type of family system where there is uh, mental illness, where there is attachment trauma. So the person who's going to partner with a narcissist who isn't a narcissist themselves They have probably come out of a similar kind of family system and they have, they've had trust violations normalized in their relationships with their parents. They've had a dominant, a domination submission type of parent relationship, perhaps modeled for them. They have enabling type of types of people who have empathy, who have the ability to self-reflect and take responsibility and love others are typically have a very sort of fear-based relational pattern where they feel safe if they make sure that the other people are feeling regulated. So their sense of safety and emotional regulation is based on taking care of others and making sure they're calm. So that's why it's codependent. That's why
0: you're talking about, they're focused on keeping... Mm -hmm. The other person regulator. So that's when you say enabler codependent dynamic, that's, that's how that shows
1: up. Right. And they sign on to the narcissist's delusional sense of grandiosity, sense of entitlement over others. They sign on to that, to whatever narrative is dominating the family that elevates that dominant narcissist as the boss (laughs) and as the person who tells the story of the family. And yeah.
0: I was going to say, so this situation, which is probably, I don't know if it's the most common, but where you've got the enabler codependent person with the narcissist, how explaining that, like how might that show up in the divorce process. Sounds like it could be right the so, way that betrays itself or shows right. up. So
1: so for a lawyer in this situation dealing with this kind of divorce dynamic, okay, or anyone close to the situation who cares, it's so important to recognize that most people who partner long term with a narcissistic personality have their own attachment trauma. Okay. So okay. they have, background of trauma and that's been normalized for them those kinds of dynamics and that that fear dynamic and that desire to manage and take care of and keep the narcissist calm and happy so that person then they themselves have emotional dysregulation issues they have self-esteem problems they have internalized shame typically so those are typical enabler types of problems. They have boundary problems that come out of those self-esteem problems. And so that's what set them up for that being in that long-term relationship with the narcissist, right? And Mm -hmm. tolerating that kind of treatment. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who partners with a narcissist necessarily has a lot of trauma, but That is what I generally see there's a piece in this that's important to recognize, though, and that is that there is so much sexism, there is so much devaluing of women and girls that and so much relentless objectification of girls and women that many women have been trained into accepting a certain level of domination and devaluation from men. And so <laughs> that can set us up for getting into an, a relationship with mm-hmm. a narcissistic abusive type who is not empathizing, <laughs> who is exploiting and manipulating.
0: And yeah, now are there within that, are there some, you know, concepts you find yourself explaining more often or repeatedly say with your client that you're working through this with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It can be, especially for someone who is at the point of divorce from a narcissistic abuser. And that person has been typically been on a long, painful journey. So they have a lot of healing to do. And so what I I get, there are quite a few things, but the need to work on self, okay, when we accept this long term dynamic, where we're being subjugated continuously, and exploited and treated with contempt, a lot of the time, or Mm -hmm. being treated with idealization. So maybe vacillations on the part of a narcissist, vacillating between idealizing you and then devaluing you and holding you in contempt. So that's often the pattern in that relationship. What I, one of the things that that becomes so important for, the person coming out of that relationship and divorcing from that situation, is recognizing what got you into that to begin with. What your own self esteem mm-hmm. issues are there, and what your own attachment trauma experiences may be that set you up for accepting that kind of abuse. And, and it's so important in order to also, in order to prevail in the divorce process, Mm -hmm. you have to separate yourself. You have to recognize what you've been through. You have to be able to accept and really see this person who is deluded, grandiose and contemptuous and really is out to destroy you. Once the Mm -hmm. divorce is on the table, that's pretty much inevitable, right? The narcissist is all about regaining control and all about basically annihilating that partner, that ex. Just like that, the switch
0: flips and it's like you're either that all or nothing thing we talked about in the beginning, black and white, you're either with me or against me. So that's yeah, that's splitting. Now I would like to mention, or I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the trauma bond because I think that will help many of our listeners to just maybe understand a little bit about themselves and, and why they're
1: in a relationship or just for others. Cause they wonder what happened. Right. Probably many of us have heard trauma bond and we may have a sense of what that is. It's essentially, it's an addictive experience. Okay. Where And, and, and it stems from what we were talking about earlier about attachment, essentially a child who has, who has violations of trust and a fight, flight, fear response in their early attachment relationships with their parents. So they've got this terrible incompatibility between that need to attach and stay close. And that also the fight, flight, I got to stay safe and get away. So that is a trauma bond. Okay. That is a trauma bond (laughs) and it's the original trauma bond for many of us. And it sets us up for that kind of dynamic in our later relationships. So throughout life, so that becomes normalized and it becomes a physical conditioned and addictive pattern for some of us where, and especially when we've got this idealizing versus devaluing cycle which is so often the case in a nurse in a relationship with a narcissist where we're at times experiencing this or at least in the beginning of the the relationship this feeling this euphoric feeling of being idealized which mm-hmm. may have been the only thing that passed for love in our own experience in our own family growing up okay praise that kind of stuff which is not love and so versus then the contemptuous behavior, it, and it's often, it's intermittently reinforced, which is the most addictive, it's the most effective form of, of, of reinforcement, right? Is intermittent, okay? And it can, often it's unconsciously uh It's happening unconsciously in the narcissist behavior, but it can even be conscious on the part of the narcissist. Reel you in, they reel you in with all the good stuff, all the promises and the the idealizing, you're amazing, whatever. And then then comes the gut punch. So it's a physically addictive cycle. Which is why I guess, because my next
0: question is, did how within a divorce does it make it more difficult to leave? And I'm guessing so because of this cycle of addiction to this behavior.
1: Right, absolutely. It is. It functions as an, a drug addiction. It's the same physiological phenomenon, and in a way, the most addictive kind, in a sense, because it's usually rooted in your those early childhood those attachment experiences that then are so powerfully operating in our, all of our lives all the time on an unconscious level, usually. Which makes
0: it difficult to leave. And then also difficult to overcome. Like when you've been in this abuse and what are some other reasons that it makes it so hard to overcome this abuse and trauma bond?
1: Often we, so we're carrying, Often we're carrying beliefs that we deserve that kind of treatment, mm-hmm. or we have a fantasy that we're going to finally overcome and get that person to love us, or see us, or feel with us, show up at, in an empathetic way. Finally, if mm-hmm. I can just change my behavior, those are bargaining. When we talk about the grief dimensions of grief, those are bargaining kinds of thought patterns, right? Of if I just do this, or if I just hadn't done that, or if I just explain it again for the 50th ta- thousandth of this time or whatever, if I just find the right way to explain it, then he or she will finally understand. And that's not what is happening. <laughs> the narcissist cannot understand, does not want to understand, is incapable mm-hmm. of it. And they don't, they don't they don't care. They don't care the way a healthier person with empathy cares. Mm -hmm. They're not making that emotional investment. It's not there.
0: And now for those, and I'll say women, but um, suffering from this kind of abuse um, and trauma bond, do you see um, instances where then, uh, you know, physiologically they, they start to become have symptoms or sick of of certain things
1: because of this abuse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's happening is when we're hanging out with narcissistic people, okay, they're dysregulated, they're contemptuous, they're superior, they're insulting, uh, they're dominating, okay, they're devaluing people around them. They may be even really sadistically enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is our nervous system is on fire we're not safe we're not feeling safe right. now a child who grows up in that kind of environment what happens is we disconnect from our body we all have these amazing bodies that tell us when we're safe relationally with, around mm-hmm. other humans or animals other animals yeah okay we all have this really beautiful finely tuned system for detecting relational safety or lack of safety okay aggression Etc but what happens for so many of us and again this circles back to what we were talking about women who yes. are being constantly objectified and uh, de- devalued we ignore our body body signals we learn to override them mm. we tell we have all kinds of rationalizations for ourselves. So we learn to ignore that. And for a child who grows up in that environment and has that core beginning relational experience laid down physiologically in their bodies, they dissociate from the body. Okay. They just, we dissociate from our body telling us, Ooh, we're, this isn't safe. I don't want this. I want to leave or I want to fight back we can't fight back and we can't leave mm-hmm. when it's mom or dad. Okay. So we get into a thing where we're really detached from our instincts and we're really disembodied. Okay. And that's for, with my coaching and with any good therapy for trauma, you have to address that reality or you have to address the disembodiment that happens to people who have experienced this kind of trauma. And so what I'm saying is we have to reconnect and learn to get out of this dissociative pattern, right. Mm
0: -hmm. And really
1: tune into what our body knows and what our body's trying to tell us. And so I would say for you as a lawyer um, and anybody in the world, (laughs) it's, I always recommend really attuning to you what your body is feeling in relation to this other person. Do you feel safe? Do you feel, do you feel, do you feel safe or not? Do you feel nervous? Do you feel mm-hmm. like maybe you're gonna, there's going to be something unexpected that's going to come around, a gut punch? Or are you being, are you being like, Idealized? Are you being treated to a lot of flattery? Are you being manipulated? Our mm-hmm. body knows these things usually. So tuning into our physical responses to other human beings is probably the best way to detect narcissism. Okay. And, but going back to your question here, what happens to a person who's having ongoing emotional dysregulation because physiological reactivity in the body, a fight flight response, essentially in this person, in this relationship that they're living with this person in this marriage or family or whatever, what happens when our body is essentially in fight flight, a lot of the time, our nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system is activated. It's extremely draining for your whole body, Mm -hmm. other bodily systems slow down okay because your body has to put all of its energy into the danger response
0: right the fight or flight you're in that so often that it's exhausting i'm sure Sure. probably to your immune system i'm sure your immune system is one of the first to to go
1: system it it messes with your musculature so you can develop what do we do when we're we our our shoulders go up our neck neck gets tight our back gets tight. Our digestion maybe slows down and gets screwed up. (laughs) There are all kinds of issues that happen. The immune system response, that's a form of Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-attack. And that's what we do when we internalize the contempt from the narcissist and the shaming treatment. So when we don't fight back, which is what our body really wants to do, it wants to get away, wants to protect itself. When we're in that relationship constantly, and we're experiencing that as our environment, we then internalize it. Many of us direct those feelings of anger, which are rightful physical responses to violation. Mm-hmm. We turn it on ourselves. And so it shows up as in immune problems and all kinds of other issues.
0: Yeah. And I do, I see so many where it, with our business in the divorce when we first meet our clients, they're in a difficult situation across the board, whatever is going on and end of a relationship. But what we get the pleasure and opportunity to see is how far they can come once they get out of particularly very toxic relationships and narcissism because we'll see them come alive again and they come back to the person they were meant to be, which is is wonderful, but they got to get there first and be able to get away. Now you write in your book, which the book, The Narcissist in Your Life, Recognizing the Patterns and Learning to Break Free, which I highly recommend. And we'll have the links below for our listeners. But you did write in there about the elements of denial and secrecy. How could this be applied to a divorce situation?
1: Yeah, good question. Denial is a huge piece of the narcissistic family and how it operates. We've got to present a, a, a positive image to outsiders. We've got to, we're, you know, we're a great family. We don't have problems. There's always denial of the dysfunction and denial of the abuse and denial of the fear, the atmosphere of fear and shaming and all the problems, the emotional chaos, maybe physical sexual abuse. So where there wherever there's abuse, there's like denial of the abuse that's that's how abusive people operate yes and what the enabling person who's not an abuser necessarily the child denies the problem and blames self okay and abuse always breeds in secrecy right it has yeah. to be kept secret that's the that's and the narcissist needs to control things all the time. And that's one of the sort of main rules in the narcissistic family is Mm -hmm. we don't talk about what's really going on. We don't acknowledge it even to ourselves or each other. Certainly we don't, we deny it and everything's great. And mom and dad are amazing parents. That's the crazy piece of narcissism is that (laughs) it's not just that there's contempt and abuse and shaming. It's that on top of it all, we all have to pretend that we're great, that we're really happy, that that we're we present well to the outside world, that we're highly functioning and better than other people, which that takes a lot of
0: energy as well. Yeah, absolutely. So again, another layer onto that exhaustion and wearing your body systems down. Um, right.
1: And for you as the lawyer or any lawyer in the situation or anybody close to the situation, who cares? It's so, it's, it is really important to know and remember that any kind of family system like this, any abusive dynamic like this is going to always have secrecy and denial. And that's going to be a difficult long-term process for the healthier partner, the abused partner to get out of, right? And for the kids, obviously too, huge. Mm -hmm. And it can take a long time. And that's not something that we can just reason our way through. It's a process. And our brains deny things that we feel unable to manage that are overwhelming, Mm -hmm. right. For a reason to protect us. But when we have this as a long-term denial, as a long-term defense is its own problem then, but denial in childhood is really inevitable and necessary to some degree. Mm
0: -hmm. Now. Okay. So when you do make the choice to leave, and you recognize the situation how do you do so safely do you have any tips or advice for anybody (laughs)
1: listening you plan okay Mm -hmm. you plan you keep your mouth shut you get really careful and strategic and you have to you don't look for validation from the narcissist you don't explain your intentions You don't share your plans. You're not going to be dealing with somebody who's going to be fair or empathetic toward what you're experiencing. You may still want that from that person and think somehow you're going to get it. You're probably carrying some residual sense that you're going to, you still want that or think it might happen. So it's extremely important to recognize you're not going to get that. And it's not safe to share any of that, right? You have to be, you have to make a plan. You have to get support. You have to be careful about who you trust with sharing information because lots of people don't understand this. And they may have their own complex reasons for denial around these things. These are narcissists, narcissism, and these realities in families, this kind of abuse are societally denied. There's societal denial around a lot of this. We don't want Mm -hmm. to admit or acknowledge that some parents are incapable of loving their children, that some parents are cruel and, and all the rest.
0: Yeah. I think it gets too often dismissed and accepted a lot of this behavior because mostly it's on the extreme end is with men, at least my experience and just in interviewing a lot of professionals and talking to a lot of people, it's certainly more prevalent in men, I think. And so then with women as the victims, and as we talked about earlier, it just really gets discounted as though that you're not believed often, because yes.
1: and very the, often it's hidden and you don't, others don't see it. So they don't believe it. And the narcissistic personality, again, like they go to great lengths to appear to, to, to present well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And particularly the more of a covert narcissist who's more passive aggressive, they often have, they really want to be liked and they can go to great lengths to present a really likable, great humanitarian kind of outsiders. And they often in a divorce scenario, they will often rev that way up with the people around them. Right. So they'll go to great lengths to appear like the good guy in the situation and to undermine that X and they'll and with lies, distortions, an ongoing smear campaign. Those things happen all the time. They do. Yeah. And those covert yeah.
0: ones are almost in, in a way can be much more dangerous um, to your well being because of the nature of how passive they are, but yet it's insidious,
1: the behavior. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And often, again, a good thing to look for in, in identifying that type of narcissist is the victim narrative, because it's that, mm-hmm. oh, is me, everybody's unfair to me, I'm such a good guy or girl. Absolutely. We, I can't believe our time
0: is up today, but I do want to ask you uh, a few more questions, but mostly what have you learned from working with women and families throughout your career that you could share with our listeners today?
1: Let's see. I we're circling back to what we've talked a bit about attachment and those early life experiences and what we're bringing to our adult relationships from our past, from our own family of origin dynamics. Those are always profound pieces in this. And so it is so important to do that work on self and it's so, this is so generational. So this kind of trauma, narcissism, and this kind of mental illness, and these attachment, these forms of attachment trauma are highly generational. They get passed down through our own modeling and other, other pieces to our kids. And so what I see is it's so important to do this work in ourselves, for ourselves, and also for our kids and our grandkids. Mm-hmm. So it, it to repair this kind of generational trauma pattern, which in so many cases goes way back. Yeah. knows how so far back. Again and again, I see this. I've had upwards of 500 clients coming out of narcissistic family type systems. And this is almost always the case that when we marry somebody who's in this level of pathology it's it's coming out of a history of trauma in in the family mm-hmm. systems and so it's so important to do that work on self and do better modeling for our kids and also i've also i'm continually amazed at people's resilience and people's ability to love we can call narcissism depending on The context that we look at it, if we look at it in terms, in sort of psychological terms, we can call it a pathology and a mental illness. If we look at it in a sort of, we can call it immoral, (laughs) unethical, we can call it evil in a more religious context. Those are all different ways of understanding what narcissism is, but it's, it's people who hurt other people. Okay. People who hurt other people. And so it's, there's a lot of it and it's been normalized in Mm -hmm. society, in our culture. There's a lot of normalizing of narcissistic behaviors and values, dominating behavior, shame, superficiality, materialism. Those are all very narcissistic traits, values. So it's become normalized, but it's not normal and it's not what we need as human beings and it's not what our kid it is the essence of trauma to grow up with narcissistic parents or parent right yeah terrifying
0: i appreciate that so much because i do think that is a great takeaway you got to work on yourself and you got to understand what brought you to this relationship so that you can be better and do better uh, for yourself and your family um, now I do have to ask you, Julie, um, you mentioned you're working on a new book or you've got a new one coming out briefly. We're almost out of time, but please tell us a little bit about what it's about so that we can get <laughs> a teaser on on that.
1: elevator pitch about the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah, I'm working on a new book and it's really more, it focuses. My previous book was really all about the narcissistic family and narcissistic relationships. And this one is looking at The more gets into the some of the attachment things that we've talked about a bit here, Mm -hmm. and all that then gets institutionalized societally, in all of our social groupings, and in our leadership and in our sort of cultural values and how that kind of the narcissistic alienation really because narcissists are essentially alienated from other human beings and from their own humanity so they so my new book is all about how those things are connected to our relationship our family relationships and our institutions our leadership and our relationship with the planet so mm-hmm. all, all of those things are connected and yeah i'm working on the book i'm it, it's it'll be a little while i'm doing righty. we
0: will stay tuned and for all of our listeners we will have um all of julie's um information below which um, the website, NarcissistFamilyFiles.com right. uh, will be there as well. And Julie, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss narcissism and narcissistic family systems. Okay. Really lovely to have you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me. And if you want to find out about my new book, you can sign up on my website. You can sign up for, I don't have ads on there. It's not, it's, it's pretty mellow. <laughs> so you can sign up on my website for details about my next book and about what I'm up to and new articles that I'm publishing. So wonderful thanks
0: so for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And listeners for all of you today, I love the information you need will be in the show notes. Please reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com or join our Facebook group, women winning divorce links will be in the episode description. And we always ask If you enjoyed this show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Thank you so much. Are you facing the challenges of divorce and feeling overwhelmed? Introducing Divorce 101, your essential online course designed to empower you through the divorce process. I'm Heather Quick, attorney and CEO at Florida Women's Law Group. Gain confidence and clarity with expert guidance on legalities, financial considerations, and your emotional well-being. We believe in empowering you to navigate this journey with strength and knowledge. Enroll in Divorce 101 today and take control of your future. As a valued podcast listener, you will get $100 off the course. So please see the show notes for the promo code and the link. You can also find out more at floridawomenslawgroup.com or always call us at 904-567-0121. Divorce for women, by women. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. My goal is to elevate your life in the way you are thinking so that you are best equipped to win at life. And I would love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social and join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. We welcome your comments and suggestions. We want to bring you content that helps move your life forward. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life.